You are listening to episode 267 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. Have you ever just needed to turn your brain off? You know the feeling when your brain is on overwhelm and enough is enough. Well, this week's guest is teaching us how to do that and why it's important. Nancy Collier is a psychotherapist, interfaith minister, author, public speaker, and mindfulness teacher. She's a thought leader on issues of well-being, mindfulness, and technology. She's also a regular blogger for Psychology Today and HuffPost and the author of Can't Stop Thinking. Nancy and I discuss why we're addicted to thinking, why thinking isn't a good thing, plus what negative thinking and worrying have in common, plus so much more. This week's episode is brought to you by Spiritually Seeking. When you go to spiritually-seeking.com and enter the promo code podcast at checkout, you can save 20% on numerology reports, life guidance sessions, and more. Head to spiritually-seeking.com and enter the promo code podcast at checkout to save. Now, are you ready to meet Nancy and learn how to stop thinking? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to the show. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Me too. Very happy to be here. Nancy, you are a psychotherapist, an author, an interfaith minister, a speaker, and a mindfulness teacher. So color me curious. But what led you to blend psychotherapy practices with spirituality? And how did this become your profession? Yes, I am very busy. I have a very busy schedule. Um, You know, I have always been a curious person, Mm -hmm. and I suppose at the bottom of all curiosity, for me anyway, has been a curiosity in the mind and the way our mind works, because from a very early age, I understood that our mind is creating our reality. Mm. And um, so I wanted to understand this mind that's, you know, crafting all these stories and distorting and doing whatever it does. And this is everybody's mind. Um, And also, I've always I was raised in a very spiritual home with Buddhism as the primary sort of practice. And so I, I was steeped in a garden of spirituality, which I am so grateful for. Um, It was always a part of our lives, even if it was just the philosophy of being present or the importance of getting still or meditation as a really important practice. So at some point, I wanted to, I suppose, form a handshake between this study of the mind and this practice of presence and also a sense of being part of something larger and to create a kind of um, synergy among all of those elements. And that's how I ended up in, in this combined career. Fascinating. And I, I love that it's combined with, with being an interfaith minister and being raised in a more Buddhist household, a following household. How did that work for you? Were, were you just curious of there, there's more or what, what made you go on the more interfaith route? Yeah. Well, I, I've been studying the Eastern paths my whole life. Um, and then I just found 
so many of my clients as a therapist had a whole set of beliefs that I really didn't know much about, Mm. Um, you know, an understanding of God that was so foreign to me and not in a, in a bad way, but, but just, I kind of didn't know their stories. I didn't know the beliefs. Um, And again, as I said, I'm just incredibly curious about what does God mean for, for everyone and, or, or not. Um, And, you know, what, what, what creates meaning for human beings. And so I went back to seminary really just from curiosity. And interestingly, I, I discovered that what what I'm sure you're aware of or have touched yourself, which is that whatever stories, you know, are our portals, whatever, whatever gets us to this ineffable place, um, to this sacredness, you know, we're all going the same place. Right. Right. And and so we just sort of we name them differently, but but experience we're after of connectedness and part of something larger-ness is shared among all the faiths. Oh, I love that. And I'm sure a lot of the stories that you learned overlapped or were very similar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, my my brain is kind of funny because I uh, don't have a great memory for the stories. I'm kind of an experiential learner. So I would remember the stories for a minute you know, and then I couldn't remember, wait, is this where, you know, we, we did, he, he did this, or is this where they came down from this? I, I just can't hold on to the contents that well. Right. Um, but, but the experience for sure, uh, I can. Oh, I, I, I love that. That's your truth and that you live it boldly because I'm also the, I can't remember the small details, the little right. things, but my brain right. holds on to a ton of other right. small details that I'm like, is this really worth holding on to? That's right. That's right. That's, that's this book. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. Which just brings us to your book. And I love the title. Can't stop thinking. The title I think is something that we can all resonate with us. Sometimes it's really hard to turn off our brain. And though so many times in life, we're told to think, to use your brain. So share with us, why would we want to stop thinking? Of course, you know, you're spot on there, Lauren, that, that, you know, from the time we're born, you know, think about it, right? You know, you weren't thinking, you know, think more, think more. That's the message we get that if we think more, we'll be better off. We'll find the answers, we'll be safe. It's the answer is in thinking, right? That's the magic bullet. But as we get older, for many of us, we find that thinking isn't helping us quite as much. It isn't really actually solving a lot of the problems that we have. You know, we keep going over and over and over the same problems, thinking them through, but we're not actually finding answers. And what we're doing is going back down the same rabbit hole of suffering. And so, so many people say to me, you know, I wish there were just an off button for my thinking. I just, I don't know how to turn it off. So it's not just not the right tool, if we're trying to reach peace, very often thinking is not the right tool to get Mm -hmm. there. But also we have a lot of trouble with, you know, when is it enough? When have I thought through this thing enough and have to decide, I can't figure out an answer right now. 
Mm. So it's a combination of, of issues. You know, it doesn't work all the time. It creates more suffering than it cures. And we aren't very good at being able to turn away from it once, once the faucet is on. Yes. And it's really hard to turn that faucet off then. Like it, it can, your thoughts can keep you up at night and they can kind of haunt you in a way that, that brings a sense of anxiety. And I, I had shared this story with our audience of my move, which I had briefly shared with you. And I was in that stage of overthinking everything, everything from, is this the right move? In what ways could I fail? And what challenges may it bring? And every time I would go, I I could just feel my brain (laughs) creating new scenarios that may happen. And I could feel this like sense of anxiety hit me again. Like, well, how would I, how would I battle that? Right. Like just walking through every step and is this the right move? And I, it almost felt like a sense of force in so many Mm -hmm. ways. And I didn't understand truly what surrender meant. Like I thought I knew, right. But it, yeah, I don't yeah. think I had to really, idea. right. I was like, okay, right. You just let the universe do it. But I didn't understand that it's truly that hands off, like yeah. let things kind of play out. And once I did that, I could feel that it wasn't even just like within my head. Like, it's not like my headspace totally cleared. It was my entire body. It was a emotional feeling. It was a, I could feel the weight lifted off of my chest. I didn't realize how much thinking had then like caused this additional stress in various points of my body. Yes. You're, you're spot on the human norm right there makes you normal. You know, what, what's so interesting is that we get all this conditioning that being in charge, you know, is our safest place, right? Mm. And then we meet a challenge that we just can't quite be in charge of. And this incredibly paradoxical thing happens where we realize that it's in letting go. It's in taking our hands off the wheel and actually saying, hey, I'm not in charge here that that's where we find relief. That's where we actually feel safest. Mm. And yet, you know, no human being chooses that. It goes against everything we're ever taught. We literally, it's like we have to be forced into that experience to say, I give up, right? That moment of, I can't do this, not in the way I've done everything else in my life. You know, I grew up as a triple type A person, you know, incredibly sort of athletic and competitive. And I went after everything I wanted. And then, you know, in in, in full transparency, getting married, you know, it was like, oh, I can't control this person. Mm. I actually can't. And that experience of I can't do this love thing in the way I've done everything else. And so I had to surrender. Wow. Let's just see what happens. Let's see what the universe brings if I don't control it, if I take my hands off the wheel. And it was my first taste of a real serenity, not a serenity because I'd figured out how to do it, but what you're describing when we really get it, that let go, let's see. But, you know, also to speak to your move experience, we want to take the side, if we can, 
of our out of order computer, this monkey mind, right? Because when it's rehearsing all the things that could go wrong and you know, trying, trying desperately to prepare you for everything that could potentially happen, it thinks it's protecting you, mm. right? It thinks that it's getting you ready. But in fact, that's a very childlike brain. What it's actually doing is securing the fact that you'll get to live those disasters at least once. Right. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You, you might live them twice, but I generally what happens has nothing to do with the nightmares, the hellscapes we create. So we have to get to this place where we accept if I take care of this very moment right here, right? Am I taking care of this moment? If I do that moment by moment, that will take care of who I need to be or what I need to do in a future time if something should happen. Right. We, we get the feel of that more. We start to trust that more, that our attention here is our best actual uh, protector for what's to come. But, you know, and this is not about just a passive life. So in this moment, am I doing everything I can possibly do to make sure that I'm prepared for a month from now? Okay, if I've done everything I can do in this moment, then I have to turn my attention back to now. Yes. Yes, because then it's so hard because you can look at that list of things that may happen and then you're just like, well, gosh, how do I get a grasp on that before it even happens? Not knowing that that may not even happen. (laughs) That's right. right. Yeah. And when you get it, you got to get it, you know, and this is what's so hard for people to understand is you can't just be an intellectual concept. You really Mm. have to get it at a deeper level that when you're rehearsing these hellscapes, you're causing yourself suffering. Mm. Period. Why why do we do this then? Why, Why do we fuel these negative thinking or worrisome thoughts so much? Why is this our default pattern? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, we're addicted to thinking. We're absolutely addicted to thinking. It's, it's beyond a habit because we can't stop it. So again, as I said, it starts from this mistaken belief that that's protective. That's the right. first mistaken. But then once we get in there, you know, we get into this addictive behavior where there's a kind of odd pleasure in going over and over. And we think, right, oh, you know, we're making it better by rehearsing it. It's all delusion. It's all delusion. And we have to step back and recognize, just like we do with any addiction, whatever substance it it's two, we just happen happen to be addicted to the substance of thought, right? That it is this very process of going over and over this imaginary future that is creating the fear, creating the suffering, creating the sort of um, disappearance from this present moment. We have to really get that. Um, and see that that's happening, but it's an addiction like any other. Once we bite the hook, you know, we're in. It's like an alcoholic who has their first drink. They're in. The one making the decisions after that point is not conscious anymore. Right. 
no, that, that makes so much sense. I'm curious if, um, cause I, I always think of things too, from, from a parenting level. So it's like, okay, so I'm learning this in my thirties, but how can I help my kids not become addicted to thinking? I don't want them to have to unlearn a lot of life, uh, okay. when they're in their thirties. So what's something that we can do even for our kids to really help them just flow more and be a little bit more hands-off and, and let go. Sure. Such a good question. I mean, my kids, you know, despite the fact that I write books about this and, you know, I'm sort of an expert, they roll their eyes every time I bring up the topic. So um, <laughs> just to know, right? It's, it's from mom, of course. <laughs> it's mom. Mom yeah. just doing that thing. But um, one thing I have always done with my kids, and I think it's critical, is we're, we start to get mindful of the way we talk about thought with our kids, the way we talk about thinking, right? So when my kids maybe tell me something they're thinking about, I'll just throw in something when they were younger, I would do this more, but, oh, so you're noticing a thought about blah, 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 right? Mm. Or, oh, wow. So gosh, your mind right now, you're, you're being, it sounds like you're being just kind of bombarded with a whole bunch of thoughts. Um, so I kept inserting this way of thinking, which was to see thoughts as separate from them. Ooh. And that ultimately is what frees us. We're, again, conditioned to believe that we are our thoughts. We're completely identified with them. We don't hear them as separate from us. Just like if we, if we look out at the sky, you know, we say, well, what do you see? People will say, oh, I see a bird or I see an airplane. We, we go towards what's entering our consciousness, what the, what the object that's coming in is. But also, I would say to my kids, you know, well, do you notice the sky in which the bird is appearing or in which that plane is moving? So I'm always bringing attention to well, what's, what's that thought appearing in? What's that awareness or consciousness? Oh, wow you're listening to a lot of blather there from your mind, aren't you? So now there's a, a thinker, a thought producer, and a listener. I was always mindful, terrible word, because it's actually unmindful. It's what we're becoming when we become more mindful, but um, in the sense of less identified with mind. Yeah. But I was always pointing them to who's listening to the thoughts. Right. And always pointing my kids to, God, it sounds like your thoughts are really torturing you now. Wow. Your thoughts are telling you that, you know, you don't deserve to go to Jane's birthday party. Wow. Your thoughts are being really mean to you. Mm. You and thoughts always separated. Detach the two. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Because then it, it's less personal that way as well. It's not like this is me, I am it, this is happening to me. It really allows you to see them separately. You've got it. That's it. If we're not identified, then we don't have to take the blame for the thoughts. We're not bad for the craziness that comes out of our mind and everybody's mind. We're not, you know, this amazing creature that thought that up, we start to have a kind of a lighter um, relationship with thoughts. Like 
you know, there's an out of order computer. It's spewing thoughts at you all day long. Some, not too many, but some are interesting. Most, I think it's 90, 90% are repetitive. 95% are negative. So, you know, we want to be incredibly discerning about whatever is coming down this, this ticker tape. Um, what do we want to move towards? Because a lot of it is just, you know, gobbledygook or negative right. gobbledygook. Yeah. So what I'm always teaching people is how do you get some choice and some freedom about what thoughts you move towards? Right now, the, the normal condition of a human being is you have no say in the matter. Because a thought appears means you have to think it Mm. completely false. It's a, you know, you don't have to get on that train. You absolutely don't have to get on that train. And once you get the kind of hang of that thought can happen, you cannot identify with it. And yeah, that one I've heard about 412,000 times, not that interested in it. Oh, that's my, you know, worrier. Oh, that's my, you know, inner critic or Whatever it is, I'm just going to come back to the present moment. Let that one go. Yeah. Really, I like that coming back to the present moment because I think in that moment too, you can really just give yourself the, the space that you need to, yeah. to be here and now. And then that allows you to then detach from that thought. So I can see how this all works in like full circle. It does. And, you know, again, our conditioning is such that we revere our heads, you know, for lack of a better word, but we think all the action goes on in our head. And so we become these kind of floating heads that that just are untethered Mm -hmm. from anything else going on. And so one of the things I also teach my kids all the time is, wait, come down into the body, get below your neck. Because our body is always existing in this present moment, always. It can't not, or there's not going to be in us. So the moment we drop out, I call it stop and drop, stop, unhook from the thoughts and drop in and feel the direct sensations in your body right there. You've entered the present moment. You're not on that beach in Jamaica. You're not rehearsing that fight with the friend. You're not, you know, trying to prepare yourself for the move in two months. You're right here. So we've got to use this incredible instrument we have, the body, as this, this, you know, direct flight into now. Mm. Because ultimately, Lauren, you know, what's so... I think, you know, heartbreaking to me about our overthinking is that it kidnaps the present moment from us. Ah. 50% of the time, we're not where we are. Imagine that. We get this short life and 50% of the time, we're not actually in it. Mm. And it makes sense because how many times can you be like, what did I actually 
do yesterday. Yes. And it like really, you really have to think about like, what did, what did I have for dinner last night? And then it's like, did I eat dinner? Yeah, I had dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, it's like you were, while you were having dinner, your brain's in 20,000 different places and you're thinking about what you have to do tomorrow and the dog's barking and you know, whatever else is going on that then you're just on autopilot doing dinner and here the next day, you can't remember what you had. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I get a lot of people in my office that say that exact thing about, you know, their childhood. I have no idea where I was. I, I don't know what happened or their twenties or what have you. But I also get this question all the time, you know, well, how are we supposed to, you know, I don't know, make a grocery list or, or make a plan to go somewhere or, you know, so much of life is, is preparing for right. another time, but that has nothing to do with being present. So I can sit here and make a grocery list about something I'm going to cook for dinner uh, this evening, but I'm in the making of the list. I'm present in it. Right. So that is just a great misunderstanding that because what the what we're doing is related to something that will happen in the future, that that somehow means that we're not in it in the present moment. Do I feel my feet on the ground as I'm writing this list? Do I feel the quality of the air? Do I sense my own presence as I think about what I might want to feed my family? This So it's all happening right here. The fact that it relates to something at another time is a different thing. Yeah. That makes a, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And if you find yourself just maybe an autopilot of making that grocery list, then maybe it's that chance to stop and drop, <laughs> like you said, like come, come down into your body. And even if it's feeling how the pen is, if it writes smooth, right? Like it's really being That's present it. in that moment. And taking one conscious breath, just mm. stop and take a breath. That amazingly simple, simple act is an act of incredible um, intimacy yes. with the present moment and intimacy with ourselves. Mm, I love that. And I've noticed sometimes too, and, and this has 100% been through the teachings that I get from experts like you on the podcast of being aware in the moment of what my body is doing. And a lot of times I'll notice that my jaw is really tense and I'll just have to relax my jaw. But as I'm doing work, I'm not realizing that my jaw is tense. It's not until later that night. I'm like, Oh my gosh, my jaw is sore again. So I, I then have to, every so often I just check in with myself, make sure I'm stretching, make sure I'm relaxing my jaw. And it just gives me that it's like a reset button yep. almost. And you got it. You know, that's such an incredible skill. I often teach people, you know, every, I don't know, half hour or so, uh, just, just put a hand on your tummy mm. or put a hand on your heart and just stop for one second. I don't care how busy you are, how important you are. Everyone can stop for five seconds, let's say, and just Check in with your body. What's happening right here, right? Yeah. And then go back to what you're doing. Those are such acts of kindness. They really are. It's like coming home. You know, we're mm. out there. We're out there. Our focus is so external, you know, and we're so busy in our society. 
And that one moment, or as you do, just check your jaw, you know, it's just like, hello, I gotcha. You know, that's it. And and that immediately resets us into the present moment. Mm, I love that. And it's so simple. And it's one of those things that you do kind of have to train yourself on almost like I, I've, I've now mindfully been doing this for two years, but at first it wasn't a daily thing. It started as a like, Oh, maybe once a week I would remember to do it. And then it was like, the more I practiced doing it, it just became more natural. And sometimes like I notice I'm doing it, but then it's like, I'm not conscious to it. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm okay. Yes. This is now just part of what I do. And it's, and it it's feels good. It feels so dang good. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Exactly. But, and all of this exactly. is, is, is life mastery on a whole different level and self-help in general can be incredibly life-changing, but where does self-help really fail us with regard to thinking? So self-help, it's, it doesn't go far enough or deep enough. That's really what the problem is. It, it, it's a good start because primarily self-help focuses on replacing negative thoughts with positive thoughts. And look, if we're going to make up a, a story about life, which is kind of what we do, you know, something happens and then we create a narrative about what happened. You know, we're the director, we're the lighting designer, we're the star, we're the writer. Um, We come up with what we think is the truth, right? So if we're going to stick with a narrative, well, let's, let's come up with a good one. Um, instead of you hate yourself, let's say you love yourself. Instead of saying you're worthless, let's say you're incredibly worthwhile. Okay, that's great. But when, you know, I've been practicing nearly 30 years, when the going gets rough, those positive stories don't work. They don't hold. It's a bit like, you know, a hat over dirty hair. Um, Mm. Yeah. So, what we've really got to do is, first of all, recognize how much suffering our thoughts are inflicting. What they're telling us, it's so often scary or unkind or just plain not helpful. And who they remind us of, is that Aunt Sheila? Is that your father? Is that the nasty, you know, coach you? Who's talking to you now inside your own head? But what I teach is something a little bit further, which is in a certain way, it doesn't really matter what the contents of your thoughts are. As I said, Mm -hmm. it's certainly more pleasant if they're, you know, rainbows and unicorns, but you're not your thought. So as long as we believe what self-help teaches us, which is that your well-being, your mood still depends on mastering the content of your thoughts, well, we're still a little bit stuck because there's a whole bunch of stuff that the mind is going to spit at you, which you don't have control over it's 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 kind of as I said an out-of-order computer so you can do your best to control it 
but we're left with this feeling that when it says something, let's say crazy, which everybody's mind says at certain times, you know, um, I'm going to turn the car off the bridge or, you know, I'm going to do this crazy thing, whatever it is, we're terrified of that thought not being disproven or replaced or something because we assume it has so much power over us. Yeah. But bringing in this really different approach, which is it, you're not the thoughts, right? It can, that thought can say whatever it wants. It can do its crazy thing or, um, but do I want to pay attention to it? Do I want to believe it? Do I have to invest any energy in it? I can hear that crazy thought as I'm driving over the bridge and say, oh, look at that, you know, crazy, crazy Aunt Edna is here, or, you know, whoever it is that that reminds us, or, or just plain, wow, I have no idea what that means. I don't have to unlock it. I don't have to replace it. It's a radically different approach to our relationship with thoughts. It, it you know, if, as long as we still believe that we've got to get our thoughts under control, otherwise we can't be okay, then we're still just, we're still just chasing the same, the same bone. Yeah. Going, we're just a dog chasing his tail over and over again, going in that circle, not really, not really getting anywhere, but I love the idea of like, also it's a relationship. And I, I hadn't thought of it in that capacity that it really is the relationship of thought and self. And That's the whole thing. Yeah. 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 And, and how interesting that I'm sure many of us didn't even recognize our having a relationship with our thoughts. That, and just being able to get that kind of separation, Lauren, you know, that I'm, how do I want to relate mm. with my thoughts? Yes. Well, now suddenly we're empowered. We, we've got the gavel. We decide how we want to be in relationship. You know, when I hear, um, a grievance thought, you know, why did they do that or what have you? I hear, you know, and granted, you know, I've spent a lot of time in this field, but I hear, and is, is hanging on to that, Nancy, going to make you feel better or feel worse? Oh, yeah. I, I hear that right next to the thought. Or if I hear, you know, my, my, one of my daughters is on an airplane right now. If I hear, you know, oh my God, you know, I don't have control over what have you. I hear, I'm, uh, don't terrify me. Don't terrify yeah. me, right? I'm going with probability. I'm going with probability. So for me, they, they become completely intertwined where how do I want to relate with that thought that's trying to scare me? How do I want to relate with that thought that's reminding me of how people are imperfect? You know, what ultimately is my goal? If my goal is peace, I just, I just want to feel well, then is moving towards that thought, the move in the right direction or in the wrong direction. When you are having the conversation with yourself and you, and you hear the thought and then you're able mm -hmm. to follow it up with another thought, is that secondary thought loud or is it more soft or is it now louder for you because you've been practicing it for so long? Well, it's interesting because over years, what happens is that the less interest 
you have in your thoughts. It's funny because I started out fascinated by the mind and the thoughts generated, but the less interested you are over time, the quieter your thoughts get mm. because they, they are not getting the juice from you back. They're not right. hooking you. You're right? not feeding them constantly. You're not biting the hook. So I would say in my own experience, I don't, I have spaces, this may sound really strange, but where I'm not thinking. Mm. I'm just not thinking. I'm just being. And so when a thought comes up that say scary or whatever it might be, it's almost like interwoven into the thought is a deeper knowing that that's going to cause me suffering. Right. And so the stop is built in. It's part of it. It doesn't make it not appear, but I'm also um, mindful enough to um, at the same time hear or no, it's not even a hearing anymore. It's a knowing, you know, follow that thought and you will suffer. Mm. Yeah. It's like the entire pathway has changed then. That's it. That's it. And this business though of gaps between thoughts, you know, when people first get to me, they don't, often they don't really know what I'm talking about because the thoughts are nonstop. They just keep coming all the time. But every once in a while, if you start paying attention to your own mind, right? Just turn the lens, which is something we never amazingly learn to do. Just imagine you're setting up a camera on your own mind and you're listening to the radio station of your own mind. We can notice even the, you know, the most overthinkers of them all notice there are little gaps here and there where a thought is not being heard. We want to get better at noticing those because that's ultimately what we're going to be really listening for and hopefully inhabiting more of that gets to be the the place that we want to hang out yeah and you just gave me a kind of an aha moment that recently um I've been going on little I don't know, like nature walks, gathering like sticks and firewood and stuff like that. That's just around. And you've just made me become more conscious of the fact that while I'm doing that, I'm not really thinking. Like I'm just so present in the moment. And I feel when I'm when I'm done doing that task, I feel better on an energetic yes. level. My mood yes. is better. I, I actually feel like a, a better mom. And it was just because I had, even if it's five minutes of just not thinking I'm, I'm doing, and I'm, I'm thinking on some level, I'm picking up sticks. So my brain is still working, but it's not like, hmm, what are we going to do for dinner tonight? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And it just like goes yeah. nuts yeah. because in so many ways, I know that that's what silence would do for me in that moment. That's right. And that is, you know, it's interesting what you described. There is a, a Buddhist exercise where oh. you are, if you're washing dishes, just wash dishes. If you're picking up sticks, just pick up sticks. And, you know, it's so counterintuitive for us because, yeah, the mind is always busy doing a thousand other things while we're doing this task. But what you're intuitively just knowing to do there is just do this. Let your attention just be here. And then 
it's so it's so surprising to see wow that's incredibly restorative and replenishing and rejuvenating and i feel present mm. right and then i'm energized so there is something about letting our mind be completely off duty and just do one thing for five minutes, just this. When, when we really give ourselves permission to let the mind be off duty and just do this thing in this moment, um, every cell in our body says, thank you. Yes. Yes. And, and yeah. you feel it when, when you feel it, it is a, it's almost one of those undescribable feelings. Yeah. It's like, I could tell you what it feels like, but until you feel it for yourself, it's like the taste of ice cream. I could try to describe yeah. ice cream to you, but until you taste it yourself, then you have that experience. I think it's, it's the same thing of like, oh, this is what it feels like. This is, this is how good it feels to not think. <laughs> And, and part of why it's so hard to describe, right, is because as soon as we engage this mind, right, we're turning that ineffable experience into an idea. Mm -hmm. we, we're, we're turning it into a thought. And so much of the way we interact with life is, you know, through, well, my teacher calls it, um, we're always interacting with the menu, not the meal. We're always talking about our experience, but what you're describing there is being in it. Not the story of it, not why we should do it, not what it means, not what it says about us, all the construction of concept around our direct experience, but just dive in the water without the wetsuit of mine, just live it. Right. Later, you can tell the story of it, but just know that when you're telling the story of it, it's not the thing. It's not the thing. You know, I remember, and I think I tell this story in the book, but when I was very young and I went traveling with my family, and I remember there was a table at home and it looked very much like this table we were. Uh, seeing in in um, Spain. And I said to my dad, oh, oh, that looks very much like the table. And the gentleman in the shop said, you know, that's a mesa. And, uh, and I remember thinking, that's a mesa. Okay, well, it's a table. And then we were in France, and, and somebody referred to, you know, the table is table. And so I remember saying to my dad, but why do they call it these other words when it's a table? And he gave me some explanation, but I think it was years later, I got it that none of these things contain this sort of inherent tableness mm. um, or, or the, the, the stories and the words and the ideas are all describing an experience, a something that is well beyond the description. So Sadly, we live our life imagining that the descriptions are the thing. And so we don't get that richness of just live it, just live it. Don't describe it to yourself. We walk around as the narrators of our life. You know, oh, look at this. You know, look what's happening to me. Oh, look, they're liking me. Oh, look, this should go well or whatever it is. But just imagine that you showed up here with no history and no past and just directly 
experience what's happening without a story about yourself. Wow. Does that change everything? Mm, Yeah. I think, I think I heard this from Eckhart maybe, and he had said something about if you, and and this is not verbatim at all, but if you walk outside and you see a bluebird, you then only think like that's a bluebird. But okay. if, a, if a child walks out, a two or three-year-old, and they don't know what it is, they're not identifying it as a bluebird. It's a new curious sound. And it was through the stop identifying, labeling, giving a name, and just focus on the experience of it. And yeah. I hadn't even thought of, of that until just now. And I was like, ah, that's what yeah. he was talking about. <laughs> that's exactly it. And hear the sound freshly look at the colors freshly, right? Mm. A couple of times a day, I'll walk, I'll sit somewhere. Usually I go to this, walk over to this park. It can happen in, in a room. It can happen anywhere, but, and I'll just spend a minute or so, kind of a, a headless minute where I look and I just look. I don't look a name. I don't look and say what I like. I don't look and do anything with it. I just look. And then I do the same thing with smell and sound and touch and taste. I do what I call a sense loop where I just experience the senses without any labels attached to them. Mm. And, you know, you get, you get, when you get in the habit of doing this all the time, it's a different way of experiencing one's life so that it's not always buried in narrative or buried in some sort of concept, which again, removes you from really seeing that pink or feeling that breeze come off the water or whatever it might be, or directly experiencing a hug, you know, that there there are different ways of living. And sometimes we need the mind to be narrating and to be interpreting. And it's certainly a wonderful skill of the human being. But when we can also unhook it from the direct experience, then, then we have freedom. Yes. Oh, gosh, I love that. And freedom is a beautiful thing. (laughs) It really is. Nancy, I know we're getting short on time and I also know you have so much more wisdom to share. Will you tell our audience where they can go to get your book and also connect with you further? Sure, sure. Um, Wow. And yeah, it's such a delight to talk to you. It goes by too quickly. Um, It does. It always does. (laughs) Uh, My website is nancycollier.com and I have one L in Collier and that's got a whole bunch of stuff on it. My book is everywhere that books are sold, Amazon, wherever you can get books. And um, I also um, am taking some clients for spiritual um, counseling and psychotherapy. So that can all be, I can be reached through my website and my Psychology Today blog. And next year, hopefully I'll come back, 2022, I have a new book coming out. Yes, called The uh, Emotionally Exhausted Woman. So oh. a different kind of oh, a you'll chair. be coming back, Nancy. You'll be coming back. <laughs> Hope so. And um, anyway, I look forward to hearing from your uh, listeners. Oh, that sounds so great. And I, I'm looking forward to a follow-up conversation because what a topic that would be. <laughs> 
<laughs> it goes hand in hand, Lauren. With yeah, overthinking. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. And I'll be sure to link your website, social channels, and your book on this week's episode notes for anyone who needs an easy click. But Nancy, I love the path you're on. You are a true world shifter and truth seeker. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, my pleasure. Absolutely. To be continued. Yes. When I say I want Nancy back on the show, I'm not even kidding. She's one of those people I feel really called to learn from more. So if you feel the same way, don't forget to check out Nancy's website and social channels to connect further. They are all linked on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. And definitely don't forget that our three-year podcast anniversary giveaway is going on right now. You can win a bundle of prizes at value at almost $1,000, and these are all coming from our year three podcast guest. We have so many great prizes. All you have to do is go to Instagram at mindbizlife and follow the prompt to enter. You'll see it. It's a big giveaway post. You cannot miss it. This ends on Friday and the winner will be announced on the next day on Instagram. So it's all at random. Throw in your hat, win a great bundle of gifts and join in on the celebration. I can't believe that next week will be year four. Next week, we're diving into a health topic. It's a first for the show, which means you know my curious self had all the questions. But first, I'll see you back here on Friday for another episode of Fuel Your Life Friday. But until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.